Well, good morning. It is good to be with you again this morning. We're going to do something. We're going to kind of institute something new this morning that we're going to do on the first Sunday of every month. And that is, we're going to give you a chance to pray. And not out loud. Nobody has to pray into a microphone. And if you're new here and you're like, I don't know how to pray, it's okay. I'll show you how. You're going to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you don't say anything in your head at all, everybody will think you're praying. All right? So if you've never prayed before, that's how you cover it. But if you're if, you've been a, if you're someone who loves to pray, loves to talk to God, that's all this is, is a conversation. We want to give you a chance every first Sunday of the month to kind of do that together as a congregation. We're going to recognize special prayer needs each month as we go through. And so this month, it might seem obvious, but there's something big happening in a couple weeks, and that is that all of our kids and teachers go back to school. And so we think that that is something we as a congregation, as we want to walk alongside of our kids and teachers, we need to be praying for so I'm going to do something that some of you are going to hate right now, and that's okay. You can boo at me later, but if you are a teacher or a student, college, high school, middle school, elementary school, and you're in the room, I would just like you to stand up. I know some of you are here, so stand up. I'm going to ask you to remain standing for a minute, and we're going to pray for you. So congregation, as you look around you and you see the teachers and you see the kids, if you're comfortable and you want to stretch out your hand, uh, and, uh, we're not touching, no touch zone, right? But we're just reaching out and praying over them. A couple things to give you things like, what do I pray for? Pray for wisdom for our teachers. They're going to deal with different kids in every classroom who have different needs, who come from different home lives and bring different struggles into that room. Pray that they have wisdom to know how to love those kids well. And pray that they can convey the love of God to those kids, each and every one of them, through their actions, if not their words. Pray for our kids. Pray that they would make friends and be an influence in their schools for the gospel. Pray that they would have courage to stand up for the truth that they believe in. And so I'm going to stop talking now and give you some time to just silently pray. For teachers and kids, if you want to stretch out your arms and pray, that's great. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, it is exciting times as everybody gets ready to go back to school, whether that's public school, private school, home school. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to learn. God, I pray for each and every one of these teachers, no matter what their environment will be in. God, I ask that you would go with them and before them. God, that they would feel your presence with them each day as they walk alongside of their students. God, I pray that as they teach and as they inform that they love and they care and they realize and see the impact they're making in these kids' lives. God, for each one of these kids, we ask that you would protect them. We ask, Father, that you would watch over them, care for them. God, we ask that you would give them a voice to share the truth of your gospel and your love for their friends that would make an impact in their schools. And God, we pray that as your spirit moves in this community, that your kingdom would grow. 
that more would come to know that you love them, that you are walking alongside of them, and God, that you will never let them go, and they'll never be alone. God, we thank you for this truth in our lives, and we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. A couple of quick things about prayer. If you didn't know, next Sunday night at 7 p.m., there will be, uh, we'll be walking around our schools, in a, pretty much every school in our area, so there'll be someone from Great Oaks there. If you want to show up 7 p.m., it's a self-guided thing that you'll just kind of spend some time praying for our schools and the kids and the teachers and everybody who'll be there. And also, I'm really excited, we have a, a retired pastor in our congregation who has agreed to spend some of his retirement time calling our members. And so if you get a random phone call this week or next week or in the months to come, please take it. Uh, He's calling just to pray for you, to see if there's any concerns you have, anything going on. He'll begin working through our list of members, but then we'll begin reaching that out and letting others, uh, inviting others to participate in that as well. So if you get a random phone call and somebody says, hey, I'm so-and-so from Great Oaks, that's what that is. And we're so excited as we continue to see how prayer impacts and guides our ministry. Well, it's been a while. It was nice to have five weeks. Now, some of you think, oh my gosh, what's he been doing for five weeks? He only works one day a week. How hard can this be, right? (laughs) I mean, come on, he's got the easiest job in the world. It has been, I have been at Costco, for those of you who have seen on Facebook. Yes, I've been at Costco. That's what I've done for five weeks. So uh, it, it was really good. Thank you. Um, it's something, this is something that's really important to me. And the LT and I talked about this in the interview process. But I want to let you see a little bit about how things happen behind the scenes. So this has been a, a week of a, li- or a month of a little bit of vacation. Uh, but it's also been a month of planning and praying and writing uh, sermon series for the next year. So if you're like, what's he been doing? That's what I've been doing. Uh, our series are done through next July, um, which is exciting and makes us better preachers each week as we come in. But the other thing that's really important to me about this and why I want to have other people on the stage on a regular basis is it's just as important for me to sit under the authority of great teaching as it is for you. And so it's good for me to be there and to have other pastors and speakers teaching me. And so that's part of why this happens. It will happen probably once a month every summer. I don't know if it'll be July or not, but it'll happen once a month as we kind of begin to move forward. But thank you for that opportunity. And as we start this new series, Equipped, I have a question for you. And this is a very, very important question. When you are going to go and start a home remodeling project, where are you going to go? Are you a Lowe's family? Are you a Menards person? Are you Ace? Or are you Home Depot? So we're going to show our hands in just a minute. And I want you to know, full disclosure, there are three right answers and one very wrong answer to this question. All right? So that's just my opinion. I have zero ability to work with tools, but I do have strong opinions about it. So raise your hand if you're a Lowe's family who's, who supports the Lowe's. Oh, a few Lowe's, very few Lowe's supporters, all right. All right, how many of you just want convenience? So you're going to Ace because they're close and they have everything you want. All right, we got a couple who are supporting local out there. Uh, Menards, Menards, all right, we like, the, we like the deals at Menards, that's awesome. Any Home Depot fans? I'm sorry, I think there's one, I, you might need to find a new church, uh, just... <laughs> Home Depot is the wrong answer. It's a long story that doesn't fit with the sermon, so I'm not going to share it with you. 
This series equipped is designed for those of us who call Great Oaks home. What I want to do as we walk through this series is I want to force us to begin to think about, are we equipped to journey with other people? Are we ready to lay down our preferences, to lay down our choices, so that somebody else might hear the gospel? You see, it's real easy when we say, oh yeah, I can walk, I can walk right next to people who agree with me, who we get along with, we agree on every topic, arm around them, let's go, I'm ready. But what about when they don't? I think we're called, and I think the gospel calls us to something greater. So each week of this series, we're going to allow ourselves to be challenged by what it means to be equipped to walk with others who don't yet know how deep and wide and high the love of God is for them. And how, as we embrace that love in our own lives, we're able to live it out more for the benefit of our neighbor. So as we begin this morning, we're looking at what it means to be passionate about the gospel. And the main idea I want you to live here with, you're like, okay, I'm already tuning out. I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap. Don't miss this. The gospel invites us to live in the gray. The gospel invites us to live in the gray. And if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been here for a while, and you're like, I keep hearing this term gospel. I have no clue how to define it. The gospel is our core belief. It's the message of the Christian faith, the idea that God loves us, that he sent Jesus to die for all of us, to provide forgiveness for our sins and our mistakes. But if you look at scripture, the gospel should be the thing that informs every action we take as followers of Jesus throughout. It's not just about praying a prayer or getting saved or going to heaven It's about how does it inform everything we do. So I have a couple of questions for you to think about what it means to live in the gray. Because that's what I'm going to call, that's what I think scripture is calling us to today. Would you be willing, or what would you be willing to give up if it meant you could lead someone to Christ? What belief is God asking you to open your hands to? Where could you compromise if it meant that someone who's never heard the gospel had a chance to hear it? What political view could you stay quiet on so the conversation could continue? This one gets a little dangerous. Do your politics matter more to you than the gospel? How would our lives or relationships be different if we removed all barriers to an unbeliever coming to Jesus? 
Now, before you think I've lost my mind, I think actually that living in 2022 means we have to become more comfortable living in the gray as we fight this tension inside of us to run to the left or the right, back to the black and the white. If I just stay here, it's comfortable. I know it. I don't have to feel the tension. But the minute I start sliding a little this way, I'm like, okay, have I gone too far? Where where have I lost my balance? And this isn't just me asking these questions. Paul asked them in 1 Corinthians 9, 12. He makes this statement. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Before I say anything else, I'm going to leave that verse up on the screen for a minute. I want you to take a couple moments of silence. And I want you to ask yourself, is that our mindset? Is that the way we live our lives? Putting up with anything to not be an obstacle. Think about it for a minute. I hope that verse resonates with you this week. We're going to unpack it a little bit. Because here at Great Oaks, our mission is to help people take their next step towards Jesus. So what are we willing to put up with? So that someone outside of the church who doesn't yet believe in Jesus is able to take not the same next step we're about to take, but maybe their first step towards Jesus. What are we willing to do, to be, to not say, or to say that would enable someone to take their first step towards Jesus? That's the question I think Paul's answering. And just so you know, I'm not taking this out of context. This comes in the middle of a three-chapter argument that Paul is making in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, go ahead, pull them out, open up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 8, and we're going to work our way through 8, 9, and 10 today. It's going to be great. Buckle up. But Paul wrestles with this all the way through these three chapters, and we're not going to read every verse, but if you go home today and want to read, or this week you want to read, I think Paul's trying to balance three things in these three chapters. He's trying to hold in balance his rights. What do I have the right to? Love and freedom. He's saying, I have rights to certain things. Am I free to do this? And how do I love in the midst of that? And that's what I want us to dive into today. And I want us to learn to live in the gray, in the tension pulled between our rights our responsibility to love, and the freedom that we've been given. So in order to better understand that, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says this, Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. This might be Paul's clearest statement in all of these three chapters. This is the issue. But it's not quite as clear as it might be to us. So they're wrestling with, can I go to the marketplace and buy meat that was one time used 
in a worship service to an idol or a false god? Is it okay to do that? Can I buy that meat and take it home and eat it? Right? This is a little foreign to us today, but that's what the Corinthians are dealing with. But below that surface, if you read all of 1 Corinthians, Paul's dealing with a socioeconomic problem too. Because Corinth has some people who are very well off, and it has some people who aren't very well off. And you can imagine if you go to the marketplace and your hamburger has been used in a worship service before they sell it to you, it is sold at a reduced cost. And the hamburger that's not sold, not used in a worship service is sold at a higher cost. So it's not just this issue of can I eat the meat or can I not eat the meat? It's a little bit of an issue of the upper class judging the lower class for what they can afford and how they can bring that in. And we need to understand that as we look at this. Paul continues in the second half of verse 1. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens a church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. And so we see this argument beginning to develop for Paul. Is it love or is it knowledge? Is it my rights? How do these things work together? And before we get lost in the whole thing about meat to idols, I know this isn't a thing for us. You don't go to Kirby Foods or Aldi and pick up your package of chicken or ground beef and be like, I wonder if that was used in a pagan ritual at a church somewhere, right? These are not things we struggle with, but we wrestle with these issues that cause others to trip up. But when it comes to these issues of morality, when it comes to these issues that we wrestle with in our culture today, is our first thought, how do I love someone who's different than me? Is the thing I'm about to do a loving act? I have the right to do it, but is it loving? As Paul argues this issue through these next three chapters, you can see him wrestling with what is the right answer. We see him struggle with all the nuance and all the different things that could happen. We see him wrestling to live in the gray. He'll make statements like this over the next three chapters. If the people you're eating with think it's okay for you to eat the meat sacrificed to idols, then eat it. If someone invites you to their house for dinner and they serve you meat that's been sacrificed to idols, don't worry, it's okay. Eat it. Don't eat it in the pagan temple. And if someone has a problem with it, then you shouldn't eat it. And you're like, what do I do? We are, you begin to see it's not really about how you, whether you eat the meat or not. It's not even about knowing the right answer because that's not what Paul says strengthens our faith. Paul says that what really grows our faith is how we love each other and how we love those outside the church. Then he makes this statement at the end of chapter 8 that I kind of wish he'd never made, right? Chapter 8, verse 13. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. All right, for all you vegetarians and vegans in the room, there's your verse. You got it. You can try to convince. 
I'm going to try to love you all as well as Paul loved the Corinthian church, but it's going to be really hard to give up bacon. I'm just going to be honest. But all joking aside, what we already see in in chapter 8 is that this is not a simple black and white issue. It's not something that is like, oh yeah, that's what you do. No, it's gray. Especially when we're forced to stop and think about all the situations we might find ourselves in. And we start with, what's the loving response? Let me make this a little more black and white. For some of you who are like, okay, the gray is really confusing for me. I'm not even sure what you're saying right now. All right. So this might look like for me in my life today, can I have an adult beverage with dinner? Right? Let's just pull that. That's a safe. Can we have an adult beverage for dinner? First of all, I'm going to say you have to decide for yourself. To some level, you have to figure out what your consciousness is in that. I'm going to give you my, my way that I balance this out, and you can all send emails later. <laughs> if I'm at home with my wife and my kids in our house, the answer for me is yes. If I'm in a restaurant, in a public place, the answer for me becomes maybe. Maybe based on the circumstances that are around. If I invite a recovering alcoholic who I know is a recovering alcoholic to dinner, the answer is no. If my in-laws come to town (laughs) to visit, I am a 44-year-old man. And until I moved here, when they came to town, we hid the alcohol in our closet. Because the answer is no. What determines the answer? It's love. My in-laws aren't comfortable with that. And so out of love for them, I won't. Out of love for someone who might need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but who has an addiction problem to alcohol, I won't. Doesn't mean I'm not free to. Doesn't mean I don't have the right to. But love says no. What if we begin to apply that principle to all the other truths in our life? I'm free to, I have the right to, but will it be an obstacle to someone who doesn't know who Jesus is? Then maybe I should lead with love. And Paul launches in to 1 Corinthians 9, and over the next 11 verses, he says, listen, this isn't just about your right to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I'm an apostle. And if you're like, okay, that's another big church word, what's that mean? That's somebody who in the New Testament had had a one-on-one face-to-face encounter with Jesus and who was gifted and called to teach the church at that time. Paul says, I have all these rights because I have the authority and I'm the teacher. But after 11 verses of explaining why he has the right, he comes back to that verse we started with this morning. 1 Corinthians 9, 12, but we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. 
Don't you realize those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings bought to the temple, and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offering? In the same way the Lord ordered, those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I've never used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather lose I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Again, let's not get carried away. Paul gave up his salary. Please don't take that. <laughs> Just bought a couch. <laughs> right? But he's saying, I'll give up whatever it takes. What's that look like for us? You see, the gospel invites us to live in the gray by asking us to give up our rights. Paul says we don't have rights. When I came to live under the gospel, I gave those up. I don't want anything to be a stumbling block. Paul's actually in preaching the gospel for free, demonstrating as an object lesson to all who hear it the truth of the gospel. We didn't do anything to earn God's love. We didn't do anything to earn salvation. It's a free gift. Paul says, I'll give it to you back for free. I want to make sure you have a chance to hear it. Paul sets an incredible example for us. And when we use the gospel as a lens to determine whether or not we have the right to something, our rights seem to get a lot smaller. The Constitution says we have a right to free speech. To say whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want, however we want. The gospel calls us to use our words differently. To build up. To encourage. To love. Another area we might look to apply this truth is as we enter this space on a Sunday morning. Is the gospel more important? than our right to choose the version of the Bible we read from? I don't think Gary Oaks has ever been one of those churches where it was like KJV only, right? Where everybody, thou's and these and all the words that we don't understand, but there are churches that stand on that. Is the gospel more important than our preference of preaching style? Is the gospel more important than our preference for music? As we walk into this place on a Sunday morning, is our focus about making sure our community has a place where they can feel comfortable enough to hear the gospel for the first time? Because there are people who live in your neighborhoods and in your communities who haven't heard that. And as we want to grow deeper, that's why we have life groups. And we want to grow and deepen our faith with Jesus. We do that as we plug in to life groups. Living in the gray 
calls us to lead with love. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I lived under that law. Even though I'm now subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles, I do not follow the Jewish law. I too live apart from that law so I can bring them Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. Paul says, I want to do everything I can to bring every different type of person to meet Jesus. And then I'm going to let Jesus change their life. Paul points out the Old Testament law is good. But it's not as good as the law of Christ. Which is the law that says love God first. And allow his presence and his word to transform our lives. So that then that love drives us out to love our neighbor. The times we live in are interesting. And this nuance gets tricky. What's it mean to lead with love first? I have a family member who is a part of the LGBT community. She and I have had lots of good conversations about it. We've wrestled through it. She knows that I don't agree with her lifestyle choice. She also knows that I love her deeply. And that I'm not going to turn my back on her just because of a choice she made. And so it got a little tricky this year. Because through the wonder of science, she's now pregnant. What do you do when as a follower of Jesus... A family member you love is making choices you don't agree with. Again, this is gray. This is what it means to live in the gray. These are the choices each and every one of us have to make. For Corey and I, we believe that leading in love was to buy her a baby gift with a note that says, we love you and we're happy for you. She doesn't need to hear one more time that I don't agree. She knows. She needs to know that there's someone inside the church who regardless of her choice, loves her. Regardless of what happens, is praying for her. Is going to be there walking alongside of her. You see, church, 
When we lead with love and we live in the gray, we get in these difficult situations. It's what the gospel calls us to. But all too often, I think sometimes inside the church, we like to use the gospel like a hammer. We find somebody with an issue that we disagree with, and we just use the gospel to beat them into submission so they'll see that we're right and they're wrong. How's that working? The interesting fact is that when it's us with the issue or us with sin, we're like, hey God, can you use the extra fine sandpaper and just just rub that little spot off and do it real slow so it doesn't hurt too bad because I don't actually want to make the sacrifice. Maybe when it comes to living out the gospel, to making sure that our friends and our neighbor and our family get the chance to hear the truth of the gospel, we need to set the hammer aside and we need to pull out the sandpaper. We need to engage in the conversation Theologian Gordon Fee says this, Unfortunately, in most contemporary settings, the offended are not the unbelievers or new Christians, but people who have been in the church for a long time and who tend to confuse their own personal regulations with the eternal will of God. At this point, the word has been turned upside down. Church, the world outside is watching. They're watching how we fight with each other. They're watching how we tear each other down over non-essential issues, and they can't believe that we would lead with love for them when we don't lead with love for each other. Living in the gray doesn't mean that if I see another believer putting a stumbling block in someone's way to hearing the gospel, I don't speak up. But I think it does mean we use a hammer a whole lot less than we use sandpaper. We should not be afraid to have hard conversations. We don't have to always agree. We can learn and grow. But what we can't do is allow our differences to stand in the way or be an obstacle to someone hearing the truth of the gospel. Because passionately pursuing the gospel means nothing hinders us from that pursuit. The third and final thing that passionately pursuing the gospel, that living in this gray means is we have to watch ourselves. We have to watch ourselves. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 9, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do it, do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. These three verses could be a whole sermon in themselves, so I'm going to race through them. But Paul's saying, we need to look at ourselves. Don't take your freedom and your love too liberally. He says, be focused. Are we focused 
on allowing the truth of the gospel to transform our lives first? Am I focused on allowing who Jesus is to step in and transform every area of my life? To change everything about me? Am I intentional about the relationships I invest in with outsiders? Am I purposeful about the way I invest my time in my community? Paul says, don't just be focused, be disciplined. Disciplined in your study of God's word, in your prayer, in the way you manage your time, in the way you prioritize. Discipline is not easy. And I go to the gym often to try to make this look better. It just doesn't always work. Because what I tell people at the gym is, listen, your 45 minutes here doesn't matter if you go eat a large pizza when you get home. But sometimes I go eat a large pizza when I get home. Because we're not disciplined, right? We try to be, but we, we mess up. Are we disciplined in our relationship with Jesus? Am I disciplined about the times I read God's word and allow it to speak truth into my life? Or do I just want to use God's word to speak truth into other people's lives? Lastly, he says, be aware. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. In our desire to love, we have to know our limits. We have to know how far we can go. We've already talked about alcohol. We've already talked about the LGBT community. Let's just hit all three of them. You have to be aware of yourself. For me, being aware means that someone else is called to go love the people at the strip clubs. That's not someplace you're going to see me because I have to know my limits. You have to know your limits. I'm not saying those people don't need loved. I'm not the one to go love them. That's a dangerous environment. And Paul says, you have to be careful how you walk, how you run this race, because you might get disqualified. So as we lead with love, as we give up our rights, we have to watch ourselves too. The gray is not easy. The gray is not safe. But I actually think the God who loves us is calling us into the difficult. I think he's saying, I want you to step in. Maybe just your little toe. Just, just a little step as we remove anything that would be an obstacle to someone hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, that's what I want to be passionate about. The gospel invites us to live in the gray. Paul concludes this whole section with these verses in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, and 33. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. I try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me, 
I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. Is that your heart? Is that my heart? It's not about what I want. It's not about even what's good for me all the time. What about those who don't yet know? I want to end with this question, and I'll let you think about it and process it this week. If you want to talk, I'd love to get coffee and talk about it. What if the deepest thing we can do spiritually is unconditionally love our neighbor no matter who they are? What if the deepest thing we can do spiritually is love our neighbor no matter who they are? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, the gospel calls us to something that doesn't feel comfortable. And God, we're thankful for the ways that you have called us through the power of the gospel. You've allowed us to see your love for us. You've allowed us to see your son as a sacrifice for the mistakes and sins that we make. And God, I pray that as a church, you would make us into a people who use the gospel as our lens to see life. Who don't cling so tightly to our rights, but cling tightly to the love for our neighbor. God, forgive us where we've fallen short. Forgive us for where we haven't acted lovingly. God, for those in our community who don't know that you are love, use us. Give us eyes to see, to see the needs that they have, to see the love that you have for them. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name.